welcome to episode three of Cop and Daughter. I'm Cop. And I'm Daughter. So tonight we're, we're doing episode three. Yeah. What is unique about our episode three tonight? Um, the original episode three is missing. <laughs> it is missing. So, which interestingly enough, you and I were not particularly fond of how our episode three turned out the first right. time. So, yes. It worked out. It worked out. Uh, we are going to be talking about Robert Berdella. And part of the reason why I brought this guy up in the first place was we were looking at crimes, notorious, notir- oh my gosh. Notorious. Notorious, <laughs> thank you. Notorious um, crimes that occurred uh, in kind of the Kansas City area, Kansas, mm-hmm. Missouri, particularly Kansas City. And we had talked about... Richard Grissom in the second episode and Bob Rodello was somebody that I remembered kind of in that same vein. It was the late eighties. Um, in fact, the thing that stood out to me was it was, it, he got caught in spring of 1988. Uh, what was the name of his little store that he has? Bo- uh, was it Bob's bizarre bazaar? Yeah. Bob's bizarre bazaar. Yeah. And so uh, he was into the like oddities and, and unique mm-hmm. things like that. And um, when he was caught, the University of Kansas, KU men's basketball, was in the final four. Mm-hmm. And to uh, commemorate or his way of, you know, marking the final four in his store was with four skulls. As the final four. Yes. Now, they weren't real human skulls. However, as you dig into Bob Rodella, we learn that he did have real human skulls. Yeah. So, before we jump in, anything that you want to talk about or mention about this at all? Um, no, not particularly, no. This one, I think, is kind of the first one that we were, like, when we <clears throat> picked him to research... We weren't fully prepared for just how gruesome and sinister he was. So I think that this is your warning if you're listening. <laughs> He's kind of a yucky guy. Yeah. So I, I would echo that. Uh, part of the reason why we picked him in the first place is because of his association with Kansas City. And we we're kind of looking at things that were local and... Two, I, I, you know, I did remember this making the news when I was a teenager, but then as we dug into it, it really was just like, I can't believe we're giving this guy any time at all. And so I know one of the things that, that we want to do with this podcast is just uh, acknowledge the fact that there are some very real human victims, people that were killed, uh, that were tortured, that, um, and so we don't, again, don't take that lightly. And we are going to look at, uh, his victims, including his final victim who ultimately, uh, got away. Mm -hmm. But, oh, I, and I know what the other thing was that I wanted to mention was we lived on Charlotte Street. Bob Berdella lived on Charlotte Street as well. So right. we were like, 
in the 5700 block of Charlotte, and he's like, I can't remember if it's the 4300 or the 4800, but... And his, like, but he was before oh, yeah, we yeah, lived yeah. there. Yeah, I mean, I was yeah. a teenager, so yeah. yeah. He, but yeah, there was that. Um, and again, it's, it's, we, it's funny. <laughs> I hope you hang with us in this episode. But as we go back, like this did not have that sort of, uh, man, it just is yucky. Mm-hmm. And I guess the fact that we're doing this podcast and we're talking about crimes and these sorts of things, it is yucky. But this guy in particular was just absolutely horrible. So do you remember anything about him and his upbringing and all that kind of stuff? I'm drawing a blank. You're drawing a blank. Okay, so you guys are going to listen to me a lot in this episode. <laughs> Next episode we record, you're going to have to do all the talking. We were, I mean, you had said before we started, your notes from this were back in September. Yeah. They so were now we're like two months. So he grew up in in, in Ohio. His dad dies, His mo- which was pretty devastating to him. And then his mom quickly marries another guy. And it, he was, it was him and his brother, um, probably a fairly typical upbringing for Ohio and the forties and the fifties with a strict parent, that sort of a thing. And his dad's death and mom's quick remarriage, um, really had an effect on him. And, and he was a particularly religious person as a child with, uh, Catholicism and that was kind of one of those first sort of like things that turned him off to who God was. And so anyway, yeah. Do you remember what movie? Do you remember the name of the movie? The Collector. <laughs> it is The Collector. So we watched a movie called The Collector uh, that actually had an effect on him when he was younger where you want to kind of give just a quick rundown of what The Collector is about. Um, it's a relatively old movie. I can't, do you remember when it was made? In the 60s. Oh, okay. You probably already said that. Um, But there is this guy who scouts out this woman, um, kidnaps her, and takes her back to his place, which is like kind of secluded, has a lot of land, and he keeps her in this cellar. It's like a room behind a cellar, and then the cellar is separated from the rest of the house. Yeah. And... Um, he keeps her there for a while, keeps telling her to just hang with her and he'll take her back. And then ultimately she ends up dying in his possession. And then what's sort of implied by the movie after she dies and what does he go do? Can't even remember. Is he happy that, is he content with like, like she was the one that he was focused on? Or did he go out and try to find another one? He went out and tried to find another one. Yeah. So the narrative kind of starts over again with that movie in terms of, you know, he talks about his first victim as like a true love and somebody he wants to get to know. And there's even kind of this hint of he learns from the first one and now he's going to find a second one. But he talks about the second one in the same way of being like a true love and somebody that he wants to spend his time with. And so that movie affected... Um, Bob Rodella and it was something that he fantasized about. And so he ends up coming to Kansas city, wants to be a young artist really does. Um, you know, we, I think again, these, these podcasts kind of run together. So I can't mm-hmm. remember I know. Yeah. Knew what we're in, but one of the things that we, we talk about is with these folks that do this is they become pillars of their community. And he mm-hmm. did that in Kansas city. So he's involved in his neighborhood. He's involved with, 
um, different organizations. He helps young men uh, that need a place to stay. And and I believe there was an element of, and like I'm not genuine, trying. He was genuinely trying to help. I think he was trying to help at some point. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I, I, you know, not that there's much redeemable about this guy, but I do think that was true of him. Uh, he was into art. He went to Kansas City Art Institute. Do you remember mm-hmm. why he got kicked out? Uh, he had killed a dog. Yeah, so he kills a dog, yeah. like kind of like live in front in of the front others, of other people. Yeah, and basically wants to call it art, and yeah. they're like, "Yeah, no, that's <laughs> not art." So uh, he ends up getting a job or working as a chef, mm-hmm. and becomes fairly like you know people want. What he, you know, right, right, yeah, and 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 then he takes that money from being successful as a chef and buys his Bob's Bazaar Bazaar, and that kind of leads us up to uh, we're on, we're at July fourth, nineteen eighty four, uh, when he, he encounters his first victim, and his first victim is Jerry Howell, who is nineteen years old, and. I'm going to let you, like, so what, you jump in when you (laughs) want to talk about, like, how did, he definitely had a plan for Jerry, even if he says he doesn't, because he goes and he picks him up and says that they're going to go to... A dance competition. Yeah, they're going to go to a So, if I'm remembering correctly, he had, like, some sort of connection to Howell's family. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, he knew, he knew, um... Jerry Howell enough to the point where he's like, I'm going to, you know, we're going to go to a dance competition yeah. together. I'll come pick you up. Yep. And then he gets him in the car. And what does he do to him in the car? Uh, d- doesn't he like drug or like gets him intoxicated with alcohol? And so he gives him alcohol that is laced spiked, with something. Yeah. And, and so uh, Bob Bradella had three, well, he had chow dogs. At some point, he had, I think, as many as three. I don't know at this point how many he has. But one of the things he starts doing with these large chow dogs that he has is when he gets, like, sedatives or medication for the dogs, he starts saving it. Mm-hmm. And so he has saved the the animal sedatives and uses it on Jerry Howell when he takes him back um, onto to his house. And once he's there... He abuses him, mm-hmm. um, tortures him. So sexual abuse, physical abuse, torture makes it confined him to where he can't leave the house. And at one point, uh, we talk about this in a later episode. Uh, so I want to make sure we hit on it. Bradella does what during that time? Do you remember to make it? Oh, look he like, goes to work. Yeah. So he yep. goes, so Bob goes back to work. Uh, While Howell is still in his home restrained. Yeah. Yeah. And whether he does that on future victims, we don't know. But this being his first victim, that's like something that he does is he um, tries to keep up the appearances of, you know, normal life. And he's still at this point, like very worried about being caught for what he's doing. Mm -hmm. And what does he do to kind of document his interaction? Like, how do we know what he did? To his victims. He took notes in a journal, didn't he? Yeah, he took notes in a journal. And then something that existed way back when that would allow you to take pictures. Before you had a cell phone. Yeah, before you had a cell phone. So he had a Polaroid camera. 
which I think those are still around like as novelty items where the picture actually comes out and develops. So, so he's, he's documenting what he's doing to his first victim and his focus is really on kind of this like torture yeah. and how much can the human body withhold or withstand withstand. Yeah. Yeah. And so he accidentally, and I, and I believe this to be true. I, he accidentally kills his first victim, performs CPR, tries to revive him. And then what is, what does he do with the bodies or I, I, I yeah, all the bodies, I guess. What does he do with his victims after they have died? Um, he drains them of blood. Yeah. And then dismembers them. Yeah. And then leaves the body in multiple trash bags on the sidewalk for the trash truck to pick up. Yeah. So this is like this is like one of those things to me that is just like speaks volumes to who this person is in terms of he takes human remains, puts them in the trash, and sets them out garbage. as garbage. Yep. And none of his victims are ever found. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have a, I think back in the 80s of garbage collection, and there was definitely like a main garbage collection company that did all the garbage collection in Kansas City, and I'm sure they did it. And there's kind of like... There's really only a handful of dumps in the area and actually a couple mm-hmm. of main ones. And so there's that element of like, those bodies are still there. You know, they're still just out there, uh, just unfound. And I, I, I find that incredibly sad. Well, and I just think it's interesting that like, after so many times of them being picked up, like no one noticed that there were body parts in those trash bags. Yeah. Like that's crazy to me. So before we move on to his ne- our, our, our following victims, um, one of the things I mentioned to you before we started recording was this idea of what is a serial killer. Mm-hmm. Do you have any thoughts on what a serial killer is or isn't? The only thing that like comes to mind for me is like the number of mm-hmm. people that they've murdered, which is I think the number is three. Like once you've killed three people you're considered a serial, serial killer. Yeah. And so we're going to talk about a lot of different crimes. And I honestly am, am a little bit of that. Like, I feel like for true crime fans, people that talk about this stuff, that there's a little bit more to being a serial killer other than you've killed your body count. Yeah. Than your body count. And Bob Berdella to me is one of those people that meets that, that qualification of um, it occurs over an extended period of time. Mm-hmm. He gets better as he goes along. And I, I, I suppose there's some element of that's true of anybody that does anything. Right. The more you do it, the better you get at it. But there's, there's certainly a sense with him of his intent, like the movie that we talked about earlier is to keep his folks alive to torture them. Mm-hmm. And he gets better at that, which is just absolutely morbid. Um, and then I think there's an element too of, in terms of a serial killer, uh, there's, there's some sort of motive behind why they're doing it. 
just beyond killing. Mm-hmm. And and his obviously, um, and I think true of other ones is the sexual piece. Yep. And for him, uh, torture. So his next victim is actually almost a year later. So his first one occurs in the summer of 1984. And then in April of 1985, he meets, or Robert Shelton, who's 23 years old, um, becomes his next victim. And he does the same thing to him. He gives him a sedative. He binds him. And this particular time he kind of like lets him know what's about to happen to him. He's already done it once. So he's telling him uh, that it's going to happen. And do you have anything that you want to like that stood out to you or that you want to talk about in terms of what was done to Robert Shelton? Sheldon? Uh, Yes. Um, This, well, this was, so the first victim he held for, I think a total of like 28 hours so this one was the longer, started getting into those longer mm-hmm. days. Yeah, um, it was I think like it was a like couple... a three, three days total. Yeah. Um, but this is when he introduces t- forms of torture, like putting drain cleaner in the eyes, yeah. sticking needles under the fingernails. Yeah. Um, and then like binding wrists with piano wire. Yeah. Yeah, um, kind of the idea that if he struggles much, it'll cut him. Mm-hmm. And then filling ears with cock. Yeah. So he's he's trying to remove any sensory for him. So there's definitely kind of a... Uh, almost like an experiment kind of going on. Yes, yeah. With this one. Oh, and this one was inter- interesting because... Um, so three days into Berdella holding Sheldon captive, a workman comes to the house to perform work on the roof. And so Berdella's only choice in that moment, well, in his mind, his only choice was to then kill Sheldon. And so he kills him by suffocating him um, and then would later dissect his body in the bedroom. Yeah. Yeah, so this was this was one that he probably Sheldon might have lived longer, been tortured more, but he's interrupted because this worker comes. Again, we have the the notebook, we have the Polaroids, and he he gets rid of the body mm-hmm. uh, in the trash. So later in 1985, in June, we have our next victim, and it is Mark Wallace. And Mark Wallace is somebody that knows. Again, he, he probably knew all his victims to some degree or another, but he, there's a, a like a massive storm that comes through Kansas City, and he ends up hiding out in Bob Berdella's shed during the storm. And this is like one of those ones that, like to me, um, and again, I, I don't even like want to insert myself into somebody else's story that is so tragic. But this is one when I hear it, I always wonder, like, where was I and what was I doing? Because, like, a major storm in Kansas City is a big deal. Like, you know, there's potential for tornadoes, hail. Like, we get some pretty, like, Mm -hmm. heavy-duty thunderstorms. And I don't recall this particular thunderstorm. 
but I would have been 14 years old when this happened. And Mm -hmm. uh, it's just one of those times where like truly I wondered what I was doing while this poor person was experiencing this. Yeah. You know, like regardless of how bad that storm was, I was still comfortable. I was still safe. I was not worried about my life. So Mark Wallace um, ends up being found in the shed by Bob Berdella. He brings him into the house. And what happens to him when he brings him into the house? Uh, Berdella offers him, offers to inject him with, I don't even know if I could say this, chlorpromazine. Yeah, so he gives him a sedative. A sedative. And even, good. He he convinces him that, like, it's going to help you relax because he was anxious and from the storm. From the storm. Yeah. So he's like, I'll inject you with the sedative and it'll help you relax and calm down. And so Wallace accepts. And then 30 minutes later, when he, the medicine has taken effect, Berdella takes him captive. So he secures him in the bedroom and he waits for him to wake up. And then again, there's kind of this element of, he lets him know kind of what's about to happen to him. So there's clearly this sadistic side of Berdella, like uh, some psychological torture of telling people what's going to happen to him, to them. And do you know what he introduces during this? So he, 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 he's kind of building from one person to the next. Yes. Now he introduces a new torture. Uh, with this victim, he introduces electrical shock. Yeah. And so he's shocking him. And as you can imagine, he's not shocking him in nice places. Right. <laughs> you know, so yes. uh, on his genitalia, things like that. Um, continues to do the needles into the muscles. And I don't really, do you recall w- what the timeline was for him in terms of why he passed? If there was, I, I, like, I don't remember. So yeah. I don't know if you um, do or not. I don't have the day that he arrived to the house, um, but it says that on June 23rd, Wallace died from a combination of the drugs and a lack of oxygen. Yeah, I think this was a relatively quick Mm -hmm. one. Um, And then Bordella ends up getting rid of him with his MO. He butchers, bleeds him out, butchers him, and then puts him in trash bags out for the trash. So, we have our third victim of 1985, uh, and this is in September, and it's a Walter James Ferris, and... Fourth victim. Oh, it's third victim of 1985. Oh, gotcha. Fourth victim total. Yes, okay. So, September 1985, Walter James Ferris, and he requests to stay with Bob Berdella. Mm -hmm. So, this sort of like, you know... and, and. Say what you will in terms of Bob Riddell, Riddell in terms of early on making a place for guys to stay and, and his motives. I think in the long run, he knew he was going to start doing this stuff. Yeah. Like, I think he was kind of laying that long, he was playing the long game, laying the foundation of being somewhere where men could come, get back on their feet. He would, they would have a place to stay for a while. And he had that reputation of being somebody that was helpful and now I think he's seeing the fruits of that. I think he's yep. seeing the benefit of people showing up at his house to stay with him. Yeah. Uh, what do you want, what do you have on on Ferris? Uh, so, like you mentioned, he accepted 
Ferris's request to stay at his home for a period of time with the intention of kidnapping him. And Berdella claims that this was the first victim where he intentionally inflicted torture. So they met up at a bar that night, and Berdella again drugged him um, by crushing tranquilizers and concealing it in a meal, um, and then tied him to the bed where he proceeded to torture Ferris for 27 hours. And he continued with the electrical shocks, um, used the acupuncture with the hypodermic needles, and Verdella continues with this torture even as Ferris becomes delirious, um, unable to move around the room or in the bed. Um, and Verdella said that um, Ferris died um, kind of like a gradual, like slow death, just slowly stopped breathing. And it was like his body just couldn't withhold the or withstand mm-hmm. the torture anymore. Yeah. All right. So, things cool off, and it is June of 86 before Berdella has his next victim. And I, I, like, I don't totally know what the flow of all this is, but I will just tell you that police work is certainly busier during the summer. Um, and... I've I've now had time at three different departments, and in all three departments that I've been with, I've seen this. Mm-hmm. That June, July, and August in particular are the busiest time of year. There's kind of a buildup in the spring, and then there's like a and I'm not gonna go, I'm not gonna try to make some like deep connection there because I truly think it's just the fact that the days are longer, right. the light is out, it's warmer, people are, are out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's maybe a little bit of an irritability that comes with summertime and being hot that makes people do things. Um, so interestingly, and this is true of, of Berdella and his folks, he he sticks to the summer times and not the rest of the year. So he finds uh, Todd Stoops, 21 years old. Todd was uh, a male prostitute and worked in that, was a sex worker. And I'm sure that you know, there was a element of that for him of this is his life, you mm-hmm. know, how he's making ends meet, how he's providing for himself for that. Mm-hmm. And so, um, Bradella picks him up and brings him back to the house and Stoops kind of like calls Bradella out of like, Hey, there's these other guys missing mm. and, Everything kind of points to you mm-hmm. um, being the killer, and yet he still goes back to Bradella's house yep. and puts himself in that situation. Uh, anything that you wanted to talk about with him? Uh, so Stoops was held captive for two weeks before he died, um, and Bradella states later after being um cap arrested um that this was a victim that he was like extremely attracted to um so i think that was an added element into this one and essentially 
Verdella turns Stoop into somewhat of a sex slave, um, continued to use electric shocks um, with through his closed eyes with the intent of like trying to blind him. Um, and then uh, poured drain cleaner down his throat in the attempt to silence him. So again, continuing to increase his torture with each victim. So yeah, so Bordello's starting to feel kind of invincible at this point. Uh, he he kind of even blames the police a little bit in terms of like, here's a guy that, like, this guy knew I was the killer. Yeah. He still is willing to come back to my house. The cops know that I'm the last person to have contact with these people, and yet nothing is being done on a justice side of things. And so he's he's really sort of feeling like I can get away with this forever at mm-hmm. this point. So that's that's his one victim that we know of from 1986. Yes. And the next year, 1987, uh, again, it's one of those situations where his victim reaches out to him mm-hmm. because he needs to get bailed out of jail. So June of 1987, Larry Wayne Pearson, um, they, he gets him out of jail and allows him to live with him rent free in terms of like doing work and all that stuff. And Berdilla doesn't initially see him as uh, a victim. Do you recall what he does that like kind of the flip switches with Berdilla and why he becomes a victim for him? I don't. So he makes a joke about stealing from gay men and that kind of like changes Berdilla's perspective of him. Like he, he doesn't, he's like no longer a friend. He's somebody that, um, I guess Berdella decides is worthy of death. And so after he makes a joke about stealing from gay men, he gets him drunk, injects him with a sedative, um, and does the whole drain cleaner, um, with him. Uh, I have, he, I have a question. Ahead. Yeah, go ahead. So I'm, cause I read this differently. Okay. So my, I'm just on Wikipedia, um, and it says that he, like you said, he didn't initially intend to capture the individual when bailing him out from jail, but then changed his mind when the young man began joking, jokingly referring to his practice of robbing gay men in Wichita. Mm-hmm. So when I initially read that, I thought he was, so you said the previous victim had called Berdella out mm-hmm. for, so I, I think I confused those. But he's talking about robbing as in like um like stealing from them. Yeah. I was thinking like kidding okay. Just needed <laughs> to clear the air there. Yeah. So yeah, he ends up being with Bordella for like six weeks. Um kind of and, and I don't know how they know this, but uh, that what I found was is that there was kind of this like he tried to appease Bordella, do what he wanted him to do, and was sort mm-hmm. of buying his time Mm -hmm. and then ultimately fought back. Yeah. And that ended up being his demise uh, where Berdella killed him. And do you have what he does with the skull and what, what transpires with all of that at this point? Um, This one, this victim 
the head was stored in a plastic bag in a freezer before being buried in the backyard. Yeah, and who's do you recall whose head was in the backyard previously? His second victim, Robert Sheldon's head, had been okay. buried back there. And he he actually digs up Sheldon's head, oh, brings and like swaps it out, brings yeah. it into the house, and then put then buries um, Pearson's head in there. So again, very morbid. Uh, just what is even going on in his head? So um, doesn't do anything again for another year, and it's mm-hmm. actually spring of 1988 uh, when he um, finds Chris Bryson who is 22 years old and I don't know if you wanted to hit on anything that he does with Bryson or not Um, so Bryson was lured to Berdella's home with the promise of payment for sex and then while at Berdella's home um, Bryson was knocked unconscious with an iron bar and then bound to the bed um, where Berdella continued to participate in his regular methods of abuse and torture endured by the previous victims. On this victim, he was repeatedly swabbing his eyes with ammonia. Yeah. And then um, the longer he was there, Berdella kind of started to trust Bryson. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this was... On, like, the third day of his capture, Bryson had earned so much trust from Berdella that he was able to kind of persuade him that when Berdella left, he was going to tie his hands in front of him so that he could reach the remote to watch the TV. Um, And so Berdella agreed to do this, um, and it was... During this time that um, Bryson found like a matchbook in the room and was able to burn through the restraints mm-hmm. on his wrists and um, and then proceeded to escape the home by jumping from the second floor window and r- running to a neighbor's to get their attention to get someone to call the police. Yeah. So he jumps out of a second story window, initially encounters a meter reader, mm-hmm. does nothing. Yeah. Which, okay, I get it. Cause people didn't have cell phones on them. Didn't have that. So, you know, he kind of directs him to the neighbor's house. Well, and he's also, when he fell, broke a bone in his foot and was wearing nothing. Yeah. So I would probably be a little bit hesitant <laughs> if a man ran at me with nothing on. Screaming for help, but yeah, so she encourages him to go to the neighbors um, to get them to call the cops. Yeah, and the cops are on the scene pretty quickly, and I think he's wearing a dog collar. Mm-hmm. He's clearly been beaten. I, you know, there's evidence that he's not making this story up, yeah. and uh, they quickly search Bob Rodella's house. They get a warrant. Um, you know, it, it's we talk about needing probable cause for things. And I think the probable cause with this added up pretty quickly. Um, and Bradella had kind of been on their radar uh, to the point where like they were following him, 
you know, watching his house. He reaches out to a lawyer. A lawyer contacts the police, kind of puts mm-hmm. them on notice. They back off a little bit. Um, you know, I think people that are in the inner circles that know Bob Berdella are like, they are fully aware that he is the last person to be with a number of right. young gay men. Right. So uh, they they initially convict him on, they find the Polaroids that are in the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, Bryson talks about the things that Berdella told him in terms of these people are dead. Um, and, but they don't have any bodies. Right. We talked about that with, with Richard Grissom. They don't have any bodies. And so they initially charge him with like the, the sexual assault type things mm-hmm. and the kidnapping and all that. And they, they, they leave uh, murder on the back burner until they can further in their investigation. And I don't know how far you want to go into what he did in court. Um, but he pleads guilty for the first two and then the subsequent five, he doesn't. So who knows why he does or doesn't yeah. do that, but he ends up getting convicting convicted and he goes to jail, goes to prison. Mm-hmm. And what is Berdella's sort of like final demise in prison? These are all blurring together now. He's the <laughs> one that died. He died in prison. Yeah, he does. Because he wasn't getting his heart medicine. Yeah, well. Is so, that right? Is that is that my remembering the yeah, right person yeah, though? Yeah, that's the right okay. person, yeah. So he did not get his heart medicine. Right. And had even complained about it. And then when it, it goes before the judge, the judge's response is sort of like, well, it could have happened to a better person. Yeah. So, um, yeah. He he dies in prison of a heart attack at, I think, 43, 45 years old. Um, sociopath through and through. Mm-hmm. Evil that we talked about um, with, with Grissom. Uh, yeah, this is just one to me that I just am like. And... So the other thing is, is I think there continues to be serial killers, mm-hmm. but I do believe that the seventies and the eighties kind of created this environment yeah. that doesn't exist today and didn't exist before. And I, you know, I, I do believe there have been serial killers before the seventies and the eighties and not just in America, mm-hmm. but I think our culture and kind of the way things were, uh, I think people were still trusting enough. Yeah. That, you know, uh, we didn't have the internet yet. Everybody didn't have a cell phone on them. Uh, there was just kind of that, oh, and then I, to be honest with you, I, and, and I don't say this, you know, flippantly, is, is I think um, being gay mm-hmm. and, and kind of having to hide that in the right. culture, you know, I think of John Wayne Gacy and, and Bob Rodella of just that lent itself to being able to do what he did because people kind of lived had a to secret. Be secret. Yeah, yeah. They had a double lifestyle. So, well, um, yeah, again, I, I just feel icky that we even talked about this guy. <laughs> um, but it is part of the Kansas city history. It's part of true crime in our area. Something I remember from my life and it was an episode that we did earlier. Right. <laughs> so we're doing it again. Anything else that you want to say uh, before we go? I just feel like I need to go take a shower. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, we appreciate you listening to episode three. Uh, Not our favorite episode to this point. So please listen to episode four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And we hope to be doing this for a while. Um, 
thank you again for your time. We appreciate it. Uh, I am Cop. And I'm Daughter. Stay safe. Yeah.